Welcome to Fick Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence fixed income, credit currency, and commodity strategists and analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence Fick Research Team. It's June 14th. Stocks have gotten hammered. Inflation is running rampant and wider credit spreads seem to indicate a recession can't be avoided. I'm Rob Schiffman, and welcome to this month's Bloomberg Intelligence Credit Chat Podcast. With us to provide the answers to some of BI's most asked questions are a couple of our all-star analysts, Mike Campalone and David Havens. Camp will walk us through the retail space, detailing inventory and demand concerns, while Mr. Havens will dig deep into the plummeting of Bitcoin, its impact on Coinbase, as well as some comments on the rise of private credit. Welcome, gentlemen. So, Camp, there, there's there's been no shortage of news on the retail sector. Uh, you know, one of the biggest reads on the terminal in the last few weeks was was your story called Overstocked re- Retailer Inventory, twenty percent above three year average. Um, I, on a personal basis, I really just want to know where the biggest sales are going to be and what stores to go to. But from a credit perspective, just just start off with a high level. You know, what exactly is going on? What are the themes that you're observing? And, and is it having any real impact on credit? Yeah, absolutely, Rob. You're right. Uh, a lot going on in retail uh, for both investment grade and high yield issuers, uh, for sure. So zooming out uh, to some of the macro elements we've been writing to over the past few months, uh, you have higher costs from labor and transportation that were really already an issue entering 2022. And now rising inflation, weakening consumer confidence that could threaten uh, consumer demand and really add pressure to both top and bottom lines for many retailers. So we're starting to see signs of this uh, appear in the growing amount of retailer bonds that are at risk um, of facing a credit rating downgrade. And then also year to date, the Bloomberg U.S. dollar IG retail index has actually slightly outperformed the Bloomberg high grade index on an excess return basis. Um, while on the high yield retail uh, side, that high yield retail index has significantly underperformed the Bloomberg high yield index. So just to give some you know market color um, uh, market color there on the retail space. So yeah, like you said, you know we pointed out earlier this year that retailers were holding about twenty percent more inventory than they had on average over the past three years, and that number actually has continued to grow after many of the retailers reported their first quarter results. So really, the ultimate risk there of a retailer being overstocked uh, with inventory could mean a rise in promotions and lower pricing power if demand lags retailer expectations, and then especially as consumer spending habits shift towards experiences in travel. So a lot going on there, but um, you know that's kind of what we've been focusing on at, at a higher level. So, so what are you observing, though, from consumer habits? Because it's an interesting dichotomy, right? We've got this sort of runaway inflation, but if these stores have too much product and prices are coming down, maybe you're not actually seeing that from the, the retail side. So what's happening? Are people spending more or are they spending less? Yeah, it's a great question. And we, you know, we kind of touched on this theme of what retailers may have more exposure to higher income customers um, and lower income customers, uh, really with the ultimate goal of trying to decipher who could have a more resilient customer um, as prices for all items soar and wallets become strained. So in, in, the, uh, in the analysis that you can find on the terminal, 
we, you know, we define a higher income customer um, as the top two income brackets of uh, Bloomberg's second measures, customer income data. Um, so annual incomes of 100 to 250K and 250K and above. Uh, so ultimately, our analysis uh, that incorporated this unique data uh, really supported the thesis that Nordstrom, um, one of the names we were looking at uh, with this piece, does cater to a, a more affluent customer. Uh, with 54% of its customers over the past two years falling in this top two income bracket. Uh, for some contrast, the data for Kohl's, uh, which typically caters to a lower income average consumer, uh, saw only 37% of its customers fall within that top two income brackets. So definitely uh, a bit of a dichotomy here uh, and distinction between what retailers may have um, a more affluent uh, customer versus um, um, first retailers, which may uh, have less of an affluent customer, um, and how that could uh, ultimately drive demand going forward. So, so let, let's dig a little bit more into Kohl's, right? Because uh, it looks like Kohl's is going to be sold. Um, I, for me, I love Kohl's. I mean, they seem to have a little bit of everything. It's like uh, it's like Target, but a little bit smaller, and you can return your Amazon stuff. So, what exactly is going wrong there? Why is that name up for sale? Uh, versus the others, and what does it ultimately mean if you're along the bonds? Yeah, I know you're a big fan of Kohl's and uh, their Kohl's Cash Rewards Program, so a little shout-out to Kohl's there with that and a loyal customer uh, in Rob Schiff. I'll take take anything for free. (laughs) Yeah, so um, the Kohl's acquisition narrative um, has gone on now for, for over six months, and it seems we may finally get some closure on if this deal is happening and who the buyer might be though the likelihood of any deal closing is still uh, very unclear. Um, so just to, to give some, uh, some color to what's happened recently, uh, on June 6th, the company announced that it had entered into a three-week um, exclusive negotiation with uh, Franchise Group, which is a retail holding company who owns brands like The Vitamin Shop, Pet Supplies Plus, and other diverse retailers. Um, so Franchise Group said it has offered to acquire Kohl's for $60 a share, so a deal valuing Kohl's equity at about $8 billion. Um, franchise Group is said to finance that deal with a $2 billion loan from Apollo and the remainder via sale leaseback of Kohl's owned real estate assets. Um, we saw some rating action from that news um, from S&P placing its uh, triple B minus ratings on, on negative credit watch, um, really as a result of the financing terms of the deal. Um, and we would expect the company to ultimately lose its investment grade status if a deal with these terms materializes, specifically around uh, the sale lease back of its own real estate. Um, just to give some color as where Kohl's, uh, Kohl's is, at, is at now, um, adjusted leverage was about two and a half times as of 1Q, um, and it reported a net value of about $7.8 billion of property and equipment on its balance sheet as of uh, April 30th. So, um, you know, uh, definitely a dynamic story. Um, and ultimately looking like a sale leaseback of that own real estate is go- ultimately going to be used um, to, help fund, uh, to help fund the deal um, if, if an agreement and deal actually materializes. So just a little color there. Gotcha. Interesting stuff there. So, so let's move to like one of the big boys, you know, to Target, right? You, you'd think like Target's got low prices. They've got a little something for everybody. You would think those stores like – you know, Target would attract everyone, particularly as as we're heading into a recession. Yet, all I read and see is Target stock getting annihilated. 
um, you know, exactly why, like what went wrong there? Um, and again, like, does it even matter for credit or do they have so much financial flexibility that um, nobody seems to care? Yeah, you know, great, great question. We've, you know, we've definitely shifted to more of a negative tone on Target's bonds this year um, and really believe there's potential for the spread gap between Target and Walmart's bonds uh, to, to expand further. Um, so just to just to give some color, Target's bonds uh, due in 2030 traded last September at spreads that were in line with Walmart's similar uh, similar issued notes, um, but now trade 30 bips wider. Um, and, and really, the reason uh, for why that's happening is um, Target's second profit outlook cut in, in a matter of three weeks uh, raises concern that the pain points the retailer was um, uh, describing and experiencing in its 1Q results were really specific to Target itself and its supply chains and inventory management and inefficiencies. So there was some concern that, yes, all retailers were going to be in this state where they had too much inventory, um, whether it was because delayed in inventory arriving in stores um, or from just a mismanagement of specific category types that were overordered or underordered. Um, but really um, what we're concerned with now is that, uh, you know, Target really, um, you know, misstepped on these items beyond what the average investment grade retailer reported in, in one queue around inventory management. So um, very specific issues to, to target and we're concerned on uh, execution risk going forward. Gotcha. So why don't, we, why don't we try to end on a positive note? You mentioned earlier that uh, Nordstrom's you thought had some, had some positive news in high yield. Are, are there any names that you, you really like here you think are better positioned than others? Um, yeah, so um, yeah, a lot of a lot of uh, negatives there and negative news out there on retail. Um, you know, like you said, a little bit more positive tone on Nordstrom and high yield. Um, an investment grade uh, Dollar Tree is a is a name we continue to see positive catalysts for, um, especially amid a high inflationary environment that we're in now, um, where dollar stores typically perform well. Um, so Dollar Tree's bonds trade at a discount to pure Dollar Generals. Um, similarly rated notes, um, but we think that continued operational improvement at Dollar Tree's family dollar banner stores um, could be a catalyst for um, compression of that spread discount gap in its bonds. So um, Dollar Tree is a name we continue to uh, to lean more positive on um, and one that uh, we think is worth uh, keeping an eye on as well for the remainder of the year. Awesome. Well, it sounds like I need to um, be cutting a lot of coupons this, this weekend, so it looks like uh, I'll have something to do. Appreciate it, Camp. Let's 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 uh, let's move over to Havens. There's some man. If you think retail is bad, just take a look at uh, crypto and, and what the impact crypto is having on on some other industries. Um, so so Dave, it looked like crypto um, somewhat capitulated yesterday, down twenty odd percent. You know, um, just massive destruction of value over the past year. When it comes to credit, though, it seems like. Uh, you know, one of the names that's most exposed is Coinbase. Uh, can you just maybe walk us through that story a little bit? Yeah, and I like your, uh, I, I like saying, you know, somewhat somewhat capitulated. I would say that's a, a little bit of an understatement. Um, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been carnage in the, uh, in the, in the crypto world. Um, and we're down again today. Um, and just to, to sort of, I, I think very vividly illustrate the the way that this entire space has been reset and and Coinbase has been re expectations around Coinbase have been reset. If you go back to uh, podcasts that you and I had, I think back in February, 
expectations uh, for Coinbase's uh, adjusted EBITDA for uh, 2022 is about $3.7 billion. If you look at the consensus forecast today, it's minus $300 million for the year. So there's been a $4 billion shift in uh, adjusted EBITDA expectations. And that doesn't even take into account the 20 plus percent decline that we had in, uh, in crypto yesterday and, and the several uh, percentage points decline we have today. So yeah, uh, that sounds like uh, the beginning of the pandemic style move. I mean, that is as close to panic as it sounds like it can get. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, the expectations are that there's going to be some stabilization that uh, over the long haul, uh, you know, crypto is, is real and uh, it's it's got utilization um, and we ought to see things stabilize at some point. When that is, I don't know. Um, and one of the concerns that I have is that given the, the depth, suddenness and severity of the drop that we've recently experienced, users are going to be be less active in the future than they have been in the past, even if prices begin to recover. It's going to take some some time, I think, to sort of uh, uh, fix the scar tissue that we've got here. So, you know, in, in, in many cases, raiders tend to look through the cycle, right? They don't want to move ratings up and down as we go through, you know, maybe um, three or four quarters of cyclicality. In this case, though, how how do they even think about the cycle? I mean, is there a cycle? Is it one way up, one way down? You know, when you're starting to think about, you know, a solid mid-double B, um, you know, how do you judge credit stability here? Yeah, I, well, you know, right now it's it's BA1, double B plus, stable, stable from S&P and Moody's. Um, but the long-term outlook here was that there would be positive EBITDA. And that may reverse next year, but there will be positive EBITDA. And that the overall market would grow 10 to 20% um, over time. I don't think anybody envisaged uh, the uh, the 50, 60% decline that we've had in uh, in crypto prices on a year-to-date basis, um, let alone probably 70% or 75% from, from peak valuations. Um, so I think that that causes a, a real fundamental reset of expectations here. And uh, encapsulated in that is uh, the likely, I would say likelihood, not possibility, but likelihood of, uh, of some credit downgrades um, in the not too distant future for uh, for Coinbase, um, and certainly you're seeing the the company you know react in a substantive way. The news today uh, is that uh, that Coinbase is going to uh, cut back on expenses and reduce its staff by 18. percent That's a very different narrative, a very different story than we had at the beginning of the year. So, um, listen, is there any sort of silver lining here? What's the upside? You know, what should investors be thinking in terms of? Of bond spreads and the you know the potential for additional widening, yeah. So, so or possibly uh, tightening. Yeah. So so uh, there's a lot of negativity, obviously. But but if you if you take a look at the long term, um, not everything is negative. There 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 are several real fundamental positives that the Coinbase has going in it going in its favor. The first is that as of the first quarter, it had 6.1 billion dollars of cash. Second thing is it's got no debt maturities until 2026. Third thing is it's, uh, it's uh, debt service is about $80 million a year. So they've got a liquidity runway and plenty of resources uh, to manage through this, this difficult stretch. Another significant positive that Coinbase has is that they've got a real legitimate business platform. 
And uh, if, if you or others are of the view that crypto is going to be here to stay, maybe a reset, but here to stay, um, then when we come out of this tailspin that we're in, uh, Coinbase is in a good position to sort of recapture business and, and begin to sort of uh, uh, mend some of the fences that have come down, you know, during this storm. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, shifting gears just a little bit, um, I, I really hope our listeners have been following your 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 research on private credit. Notes on Blackstone, Apollo, Ares have, have absolutely crushed it. Um, and I think that the interest in private credit um, is continuing to, to, to go higher. What we're seeing is um, larger and larger deals out of private credit. Credit in, in, term, in terms of you know, you know rising rates and inflation, um, they've definitely stymied um, high yield issuance year to date. You know, what, what do you think the trend is going to be for, for private credit growth? And do you think this sort of juggernaut is set to continue? Yeah, so I, I don't know that the juggernaut is set to continue because I think that overall activity levels will probably decline a bit in a, in a less accommodative uh, world with, with higher risk premiums. Right. Um, but if you, if you talk to the BDCs, if you talk to private credit people, um, this, is, this is sort of the environment that they're, that they're hoping for. Um, you know, some of the, uh, some of the, the fast money is, is likely to come out of the sector. Um, spreads are, are going to go up. Uh, deal pricing will be more attractive. Um, and the, uh, you know, the power dynamic will sort of shift over to the, uh, over to the private lender side of things. So uh, they'll be able to demand better pricing and better terms and conditions and uh, add what they would view as, as being perhaps more attractive assets at better prices. Um, the downside, of course, is that, you know, we do have – uh, the likelihood of a recession going up. Uh, if you look at the Bloomberg consensus forecast, we're now 31.5%. That's been creeping up fairly steadily all year. Uh, and uh, obviously, in a recessionary environment, uh, cuspier credits are, are likely to underperform. Now, a lot of the, the underlying credit metrics that are in the BDCs and private credit are actually pretty strong. Uh, but as we see time and time again, that, that can change pretty quickly. So obviously, a recessionary environment will lead to increased uh, uh, default rate activity, but it also leads to increased uh, opportunity for the, uh, for the private lenders, especially those that have substantial, deep, and varied uh, access to liquidity, such as these large names that you mentioned. And, you know, just to, to, and to, to wind it up, you've been reasonably positive on the BDCs. Is there any one in particular that stands out, or do you think um, you just being sort of long, the space itself is, is the way to go? Yeah, so I, I think that in, in sort of a, a risk-off world um, where you still want to where you still want to uh, uh, get some yield, I think it probably makes sense to look at sort of uh, the, the best in the best in class. And uh, right now, probably the one that stands out as offering a combination of value and relative safety is uh, Blackstone Private Credit. Um, investment grade, 6B issuer, owned by an A-rated company. They share the name. They share management. Uh, there's reputational issues that, that extend between Blackstone, the mothership, and Blackstone Credit. Um, so I think that there, there's a lot of implicit support there, and there's a lot of spread that investors can participate in in the, uh, in the Blackstone BDC unit. Awesome. Well, with regards to best in class, I want to thank our best-in-class analysts for joining us, and thank you for listening to our BI Credit Chat podcast. 
As always, if you need anything from our team, feel free to reach out directly or simply access the credit research dashboard at BI Cred. Stay happy and healthy. Until next month, may your longs be tighter and your shorts wider. Bye-bye.